Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume eight, issue 377. And we're going to talk about Prey, the first attempt at it. Actually, not really the first attempt at it. The first game we played that was called Prey that was released under the name, but more about the development history momentarily. You can play along with upcoming Cane and Rinse podcasts. We have Inside coming up. We have Dyad. We also have Pilot Wing 64. After that, it's Observer. And then we continue our Final Fantasy series with number 12. You can get the full schedule up to the end of the year at canarince.com, as well as links to all our other outlets and doings. Now joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 377 are John Salmon. Hello. And Tony Atkins. Hello. Just the three of us. And uh, a game that is now 13 years old, a game called Prey. Really? Not that one. The- not that one. The 2017 <laughs> game is a uh, yeah, a basically a complete reimagining of the IP. I mean, it's but to yeah. be fair, we are doing this one because of that one. Yeah, completely. Yeah, yeah. It, it didn't feel right to just jump in to leave this game, which was storied, has a history. Uh, it is a first-person shooter slash adventure game, I suppose, in the sci-fi horror genre. Uh, we'll issue a spoiler warning at this point. Obviously, the game is quite old. Uh, but we may, well, we'll certainly say what happens at the end, if not in between. Um, but what about our histories with the game? John, this is a significant one for you. Uh, yeah, it kind of is. Um, I I guess this was, what, we think eight months or so after the 360 came out. And yeah, I'm yeah. famously maybe cheap, but also just a not sort of day one purchaser of things. Early adopter. Yeah, I, I tend to wait until, you know, more games are out. and Not very mature. And stuff. Yeah. Well, Do you want yeah, a medal? I was Biscuit? 20 when this came out. Oh, so that's not bad then. Probably oh. wasn't that mature. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember seeing, um, I want to say magazine articles, but I think it was probably one of those little game station catalogs that we used to get. Um, oh, yeah. Just little sort of A5 size things. I used to pour through those and look at the, uh, look at the mm. upcoming games and I'd look at games that were... You know, when you bought, you used to buy a game and it came with more than just one sheet of paper inside the uh, the case. And sometimes it would be like EA showing off, here are some upcoming games and things that are coming out. So I know that I saw this in some sort of little publication like that. And I, I guess I was kind of, at that point, not far off a, a time where I'd been mostly playing PC games, which had turned out to be lots of first-person shooters and you know, around the turn of the millennium and stuff, that that was, I suppose, I don't know, that the, um, you know, the thing to make to show off your engine and show off, you know, physics and things like that in games. So there were, there felt like I'd played a lot of games not that far removed from this, you know, fairly recently, and I'd, I'd gotten well into that scene. So I remember seeing the, the, whatever it was, advert for this and thinking, oh, that looks kind of cool and disgusting. and Seems like it would be up my, up my alley, and it was it was mainly due to the fact I think that around the time that the three sixty had come out, not that long before this, um, I'd also gotten massively stuck into playing Morrowind, and then they released Oblivion, and right. when that came out, probably about two months before this, that was the push of like, oh, they they've actually done a console release of this as well, so at some point I have to get a three sixty. And I saw that, and that was not long before. And then I saw Prey. I was like, hmm, maybe maybe I can try and get some sort of bundle. 
And I ended up, I did, I got a 360 that came with Oblivion and Prey and I think it was the Far Cry, like the bundle of the Far Cry games. The Predator ones. Yeah, yeah. the, the two yeah, that had ones. been on yeah. the Xbox original. Instincts. Yeah, I think it's Instincts colon Predator. Yeah, that's yeah, a that stupid a good subtitle. Yeah. <laughs> but they were the three games that came with my, my 360 and I guess after eight months I was like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll plump down for this. And I played Prey pretty much probably on the day that I bought the 360, which is, I don't know, sometime in August 2006, I think. Yeah. Um, and I probably played through it fairly quickly. I unfortunately yeah. can't see the timestamps on achievements because the uh, I yeah. didn't have Xbox Live at that point. But I know I played through it fairly quickly and played through it again and played the multiplayer. And at the time, I, I had really, really enjoyed it. And I thought going back this year to replay it for the show I thought oh this is going to be a slog and I bet it looks like crap now and it probably plays like crap as well and I was quite pleasantly surprised and yeah, yeah there's there's quite a lot that's still impressive about Prey so much further down the line so yeah it's a cool game all right we'll get into it you mm. reviewed it already but never mind that's okay <laughs> uh yeah. Tony you were an early adopter of the 360 yeah I'm, you the, an I'm early the adopter of the game I'm the opposite of John. Um, early adopter of just about everything. Uh, like to spend my money <laughs> and he not sure save it. He works um, hard, folks. He, he does, and then spends it on games. Um, yeah, so now I, I originally I bought the 360 at launch. Um, long story there, we won't go into that, but it involves me uh, trying to find it on my um, honeymoon. <laughs> Good times. Best way to spend it. Well, you know, just... You know, I mean, what else would you be doing? Letting letting my wife know what she was in for for many years to I'm come. I'm sure she already had an... And we're still together right? now, so there we yeah. go. There'll um, be a console special at some point where we can yeah. really dig into this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, so, so I did play this game on launch. Um, thankfully, on obviously, Drew and Cheapens can go back and ha- have a look, and apparently I did play this on launch. And I don't have any particular one story to say, oh, I was absolutely desperate for this game or anything like that. But um, clearly around that time, probably starved for content, it being a new new console yeah. and lack of there of uh, new software on new consoles. Um, but I do remember it looking interesting. I, I think there's a lot of stuff that the game does that we will get into, which I think they were quite keen to highlight front and centre. Um, and you know, after, I think it was Doom 3 and uh, a couple of years prior, Quake 4, um, a year prior to this, and you know this one, it it was the continuation of that id Tech Four engine. Yeah. Um, that you know, back back in two thousand and six was really quite impressive what they were achieving on consoles because you know the three sixty seemed like quite the step up from the the previous gen. So it's interesting actually to hear John talk about PC because obviously this game uh, did come out on PC at at the same time, and um, I believe yeah. it was it was a PC yeah. game first and foremost, yeah. really. I think so. Yeah. 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 Um, and it and it certainly had a, a checkered development, and I think I do remember some of that stuff happening around the time. But it, yeah, I wasn't as you know as deeply invested. I don't think in in finding about the history of of my products that were landing to me back in two thousand and six. Although twenty six, so you know certainly had a, a passion for it. Um, yeah. So anyway, I played it through completion at launch. It looks like it only took me a couple of weeks to go through pretty much everything, all the multiplayer as well and whatnot. So I was clearly already into achievements back in back then. So, um, but yeah, we dig into the actual uh, the meat of the uh, of the game a little bit going forward. But yeah, well, let's not me. gloss over your uh, your dedication to the cause by replaying it until three a.m. this morning. Yeah. No. So so yes, I did actually replay this game so i because you didn't have to do that no 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 so 
So quite often, I mean, I I tend to always replay games. You would have for... remembered it from two thousand and six. I no, but didn't. you don't have to stay up till three a.m. necessarily. No, so I do. I nine times out of ten, I'll play game all the way through, yeah. even if I have played it before for the show. Yeah. But this was one of those cases. Like I know Prey. That's fine. Yeah, fine. And so I pl- I I just thought, like, I just get used to feeling how it feels because that's the most important thing. Um, yeah. I jumped into it, done about two hours, and I was like, oh yeah, no, I remember all this. And then, after about that, I started going, I don't remember the flying sections. Ah. And then that really started to panic me because, you know, that area of like, well, I kind of, I had this kind of abstract memory of areas of this game, but maybe it's just actually, you know, it's just yeah. snapshots. So in the end, I, I did end up playing it always free. I wanted to in the end because, you know, it's, it's an interesting enough game. And I'm glad I did because actually, I think seeing it, you know, through uh, the lens of, you know, 2019 yeah. and also um seeing how the game um that's why we, we talk about playing the game away from gamers but seeing how the game actually you know from start to finish and, and develops um through the entirety of the of, of the structure of the game um, i'm glad i did because i've got plenty to say about you know the two what i class as the two halves of the game so i think if i didn't do okay. that i would have been uh worse off for coming into the show so yeah i mean i played games to pretty late anyway but yeah 3 a.m just to just to see the final boss who's not a great boss, but <laughs> it was done. So here we are. So I played the demo of this when I first got my 360. I guess the demo was already out by late 2006 when I got my 360. And I remember thinking that it was it it was quite it was quite striking that that opening bit at the time. The you know in the bar uh, with the aliens coming down, yep. smashing up this uh, this relatively seedy but a mundane scene um and for whatever reason i never got around to buying the game uh, i think i i must have seen it multiple times in secondhand stores for not very much money uh, but for whatever reason i never picked it up i guess it wasn't that long it was another year until bioshock came along and that sort of seemed to sort of raise the bar as it were <laughs> so maybe i never never kind of just quite had the inclination to get it what's weird is it showed up in my xbox one backwards compatible library recently uh after i started game sharing with darren our darren Gargett, i've never bought it digitally i've checked and that's absolutely fact uh he claims he's never bought it digitally either <laughs> uh but i assume he has because it's in his my memory even though I'm, I'm more than a decade older than him my memory is better than his uh and i know i haven't bought it uh, so I assume that he's bought it at some point. Anyway, there it is in our library. Maybe it's some weird glitch. Uh, but yeah, so I played it on Xbox One X, which doesn't, it's not enhanced especially, but it obviously it runs. It not runs too bad, does it? I mean, yeah, yes, it, well, I, yeah, we'll get into that uh, for such ancient tech. <laughs> but first, uh, yeah, so I, I, I played it not thinking I was going to be on this show, let alone hosting it. Uh, Carl was due in, but uh, as he basically, he nominated the, the recent game for the for the podcast so it seemed to make sense and i knew he'd he'd be familiar with this game and i also thought he'd have more probably on the the history of the game because he was a pc gamer in the 90s when this game was first announced uh first mooted so uh but anyway uh i played it and completed it he's uh, ill just to let people know just yeah. just to in- <laughs> yes he's ill sorry uh and just to listen to the show i thought i'd play along uh and finally get it off my off my plate so to speak but uh as it turns out, that was just as well I did. Anyway, talking about that development then. 1995, Prey was announced. 
when when Duke Nukem 3D was still in development and the first Quake was yet to be released. It was never meant to use the build engine, but a new engine instead. The initial team was made up of Tom Hall, project leader. He left one year later to found the mighty Ion Storm. William Scarborough, lead programmer. Mark Docterman, net programmer. And Jim Dose, tools programmer. Chuck Jones, not the Warner Brothers uh, maestro of animation, I assume. And Doug Wood also worked on some of the early art. Development was halted in August 1996 when most of the development team walked away. With a new team aboard, development was continued in 1997 with a full redesign. It was also announced that the IDM Collective KMFDM would do the music. In October 98, important members of the development team left, including Paul Shotema and William Scarborough. 3D Realms hired Corinne Yu to design a new engine, but she was fired in 2000. I don't know why. And 3D Realms finally removed all references to the game from its website. Then, <laughs> according to Moby Games, this is no official news appeared until 2005, when it was announced that Prey had been in development since 2001 at Human Head Studios led by Chris Reinhardt. And the final game is dedicated to the memory of William Scarborough, who was a lead programmer on, on that original 95 incarnation who died of an asthma attack in August 2002, uh, sadly. The, the thing I like about that is because, although I imagine this absolutely must have started out as a PC-only title, I'm, I'm going to assume, because 95, I'm, I'm thinking oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. tech there, I, you know, that's place, you know, original PlayStation, so I'm this thinking... This was two years before GoldenEye, I mean, come yeah, on, there's so, no way this was coming to consoles. Exactly, so you, you think about the, I mean, if it eventually came out on consoles, so you think about the span of time it's it spent over, it would have been the, probably the PlayStation, if it released around that time, then it would have been, what, Xbox, PS2, and then eventually 360, PS3, and then PC. Yeah. So, you know, that's... You, it's a bit like Duke Nukem, isn't it? It's one of those ones. Is like how many engines did they need to use, and how many ideas were kept? How many? And I think this game probably came out better than <laughs> at the end of what Duke Nukem Forever did. But there's definitely elements in there. I think they had a, a core idea that they liked and stuck with. 3D Realms was the first external developer to license the Doom Three engine. That was id Tech Four. And yeah, so it was the final version was made by Human Head Studios. Up to this point. They'd made a Blair Witch game, Volume 2, The Legend of Coffin Rock, which I don't think was terribly well received, if mm. I recall correctly. Forgive me if I'm wrong. Uh, the team that made Prey were almost all heavily involved in the Rune series, which is a series I know very little about. Uh, Rune, Rune, the Halls of Valhalla, Rune, Viking Warlord uh, seems to have a following. Uh, they also made a game called Dead Man's Hand, which I vaguely remember, but not really. Um, and of course, they went on to make Brink and they had a hand in Bioshock Infinite, at least some elements of it. They made uh, Defiance, which was the weird MMO sci-fi that mm. tied in with a TV series. Um, Batman Arkham Origins for Wii U as well. They did a port there. Uh, currently working with or on Rune 2. So that's still going. The 360 version was actually converted by a studio which was uh, formed from the ashes of Rage Software. The once much vaunted uh, British studio based up in Newcastle, they'd started out with um, Striker on the Amiga and Super Nintendo and things. Uh, the team Venom actually were only responsible for three games, including this Prey port. Uh, and the other two were both boxing games, Rocky Legends and Don King Presents Prize Fighter. So there you go. Uh, Aspire Media were involved in the Mac conversion and it was published by 2K Games. So yeah, Chris Reinhardt, who was the director on the final product, was best known for his work with Heretic and Hexen and the Rune series. 
Heretic and Hexen, I think their names are, are still known in certain circles. Um, but at the time, in the post-Doom swathe of, quotes Doom clones, Heretic and Hexen were quite a big deal because they were effectively taking that quite newfangled and very exciting, colourful, fast 3D first-person gameplay and giving it a sort of fantasy spin. Mm, they were huge at that point. Heretic particularly was probably predated, um, well, almost certainly predated uh, Duke Nukem 3D, and it probably yes, yeah. came out before Quake did. Oh, so yeah, that was sure. that was one of the games that would have been slapped with that title of Doom clone. I remember playing yeah. this nearly as much as I played Doom. And then Hexen, I was never entirely sure, but I think it was something very similar. There was some... Yeah, it was, yeah. Always used to be some confusion about whether it was Heretic or Hexen. I guess it was similarly to Doom. They were games that had that um, like almost shareware-type version. I remember them being installed yes. on sort of random computers levels, at school yeah. and things. And you could play a little bit, but nobody ever seemed very sure which was... You know, what, <laughs> if you put a screenshot in front of me, I certainly wouldn't be able to tell you whether it was yeah. Heretic or Hexen. Right. Um, <laughs> and then you, there's something about Heretic 2... A little bit further down, I remember that very, very strongly because that was completely different. That was like a third person, right? Kind of like adventure type, um, mm. action melee type game that yeah. probably probably was like 99, 2000. It was quite a lot later, mm. but I think I've got more memories of that than even some of the older ones. Yeah, yeah, it was art, art, one of the artists, Jeff DeWitt, worked on both Hexen 2 and Heretic 2 and Soldier of Fortune, the uh, violent first person shooter. But yeah, most of the team. Uh, we'll have you'll see we'll have credits in the rune series in particular uh the composers were the uh the soul brothers jeremy and julian um not a motown act in fact but uh the composers responsible for uh well jeremy of course we know very well from the elder scrolls series but also guild wars 2 and dota 2 and julian i didn't I, this was new to me i can't believe we've i don't think we've featured his music on sound of play before but he actually he started his gaming uh, composing work with Secret of Evermore, the Square America uh, RPG, JRPG style American RPG. He also did the music for Giant Citizen Kabuto, which is a cult classic, and the original Guild Wars, and worked with his brother on Dota 2. So the game finally came out latterly, as we said, in July 2006 on PC and 360. The Mac version followed at the start of the following year and the Linux version followed another year, two years later, January 2007 to December 2008. That's nearly two years, right? Hmm. Uh, the reviewist from the forum says, I blasted my way through Prey many moons ago on the 360 and at the time I remember it being moderately impressive, although never wholly groundbreaking. But it did at least feel like a mishmash of some of the better aspects of the then current linear story FPS as well as featuring the use of portals a good year before Valve's masterwork blew us all away. At the end of the day, it's a curio rather than a must-play, with the understandable feel of being a mod of Quake 4 rather than a wholly original design. But it did feature some solid mechanics, a few novel twists, not least of all the inclusion of a Native American protagonist in Tommy the Bitter mechanic, with, a, with serious issues about his life and no time for his heritage or people. It's a bold choice and one that felt much more interesting than a swathe of the other white-guy-soldier heroes doing the rounds. The plot itself was a little paint-by-numbers in game terms, although I do recall the moment when you finally have to gun down your own girlfriend after she's been surgically grafted onto an alien monster. It did at least feel like a sly and subversive turn. It's not a game I've ever really felt much wish to revisit, but I'm glad I played it back then. 
The reviews were pretty positive. The PC version reviewed about 5% better than the 360 version, probably down to frame rate and resolution and performance uh, with 84%. Also, maybe just because the PC version only had 19 reviews, according to Game Rankings, whereas the 360 version was reviewed by 90 outlets, <laughs> magazines and websites. I mean, Start the is... content. That's what <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, totally. Yeah. 78.3%, which, you know, for a 2006 game, you mm. can, if you sort of lop percentages off over time for things aging, yeah, well, I don't know. We'll see what we think. Uh, there was only one review published that Game Rankings knows of for the Mac version. It was a 60% review. I haven't read it, so I don't know whether it was a case of either it's a terrible port or the person who played it just didn't like the game or, well, liked it six out of ten. Um, so, yeah. Make of that what you will. Uh, user reviews wise, uh, only got uh, IMDb to go f go from. Uh, almost nine hundred people have reviewed it on there. Punters wise, and they like it about the same as reviewers like the three sixty version with a seven point seven out of ten. <laughs> uh, sales wise, in October two thousand six. So this is old data, but I have nothing else to go on. Three D Realm CEO Scott Miller announced that the game was a commercial success on both PC and three sixty with a combined 1 million copies sold worldwide to date. So that was October 2006. So that seems a decent like number. Three months. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was would have obviously been its peak. But it may have, you know, dripped a few copies here and there. You can't buy it on Steam, I noticed. I don't know if there's a reason for that. I don't know if you can buy it from any digital storefront or whether to get the PC version, you either have to get it hooky or get an old disc but presumably it had a serial but key, it, so I don't know. Even so, I mean, that, that to me seems a decent number for an, oh, yeah. essentially a new IP on a, obviously the 360 platform that obviously sold yeah, quite a number of units, but it was still a very early in its lifespan. Obviously, yeah, PCs to PCs. So. However, though, what hmm. were the total development costs if you included all the way back to 1995? I, I bet was... 3D Realms were at least happy it sold a million copies, <laughs> just, just to make sure. Uh, probably so. Uh, it's probably done costs. a few more as well with all those. Yeah. Xbox backwards compatible three pound sales it's been in recently. Yes. I mean it got uh, it got me to buy it again. I'm pretty I was sure Tony did the same. Presumably yeah, no, Darren yeah, did. Carl, no, Carl brought it. Yeah, but that, I mean that, who owns I mean Professor obviously owns Prey license now, but I guess two K stone. <laughs> the license No this. idea. Dunno? No, dunno. Goes to somebody. So the scenario is this you play Tommy or Damasi Tawadi, the uh, Cherokee Mechanic. He's a mechanic, as we already heard. Uh, he works. <laughs> he works. We don't. We don't know too much about him. He's not very happy. He's it's a mechanic. Like fixing has... the Johnny machines in that bar at the beginning. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and having a freak out. He's quite depressed. Um, he doesn't have any time for uh, his grandfather figure, who uh, is uh, more of your traditional, uh, as seen by uh, white writers, mystical old Native American guy. <laughs> he has a girlfriend. Who works in the bar and gets harangued by local greasers, uh, and that's all the setup there is before the aliens arrive. Basically, um, it's quite a uh, sort of, I suppose it's a, an homage to various alien invasion movies. The lights go on, the noise kicks up, people start getting sucked out the building, and before too long, you'll find yourselves uh, trussed up in various mechanical devices inside an alien craft called the Sphere. And it soon becomes apparent that not only have you been kidnapped by aliens, you were actually put here. We were here. Humans were here first, uh, seeded by the aliens to be harvested by these uh, by these creatures on their way back through the, the galaxy. 
Um, so I suppose if there's a, if there is a philosophical idea behind the game, it's whether uh, the idea that even if your inception is something so uh, functional and lowly that actually we now you know we're worthy of existence ourselves with our with our big ideas and everything. So, so I'm going to say as a setup, I was actually mm. really impressed at the time, and I I remember back in 2006, um, you know, game. Okay, we always get in this argument, game stories, yada yada, but. You know, as a as the way it portrayed the game story seemed like it was a really quite engaging moment, then being sucked up into the spaceship. But before that, even having you know the 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 balls to go with um, the Native American you know characters, you know what well, you know it was a kind of new IP. Um, I think was was interesting, and that bar scene is odd in itself because I mean ultimately you have got Tommy who's completely rejecting of his um, Native American. Uh, culture and wants to escape that town and you've got Jen, his girlfriend, who's embracing it and, you know, the two halves want to be obviously together and, you know, you wonder if this is going to be a, an issue going throughout the game. Obviously, it never has the chance to de- develop anywhere um, beyond that opening scene, but, it, you know, I think they're, they're interesting characters. Yeah, the flip side of that is that we're three white guys who know probably oh, about no, that, as much I, of yeah, Native I'm... American cultures you've seen in TV shows and stuff and, I mean, this could be fairly heavy-handed and disrespectful for all i know i think it is fairly heavy-handed and like you say you know you you have the grandfather who's you know the atypical grandfather and that's like you need to you know respect your heritage and you know and of course all this will come and play throughout the game as, as something that tommy needs to embrace uh to get through the situation what i will say about that scene though is although it starts off fairly interestingly strong in that case before you get sucked up into the spaceship Tommy does actually pretty much murder two people like in front of Jen with a wrench. Right, the <laughs> yeah. aliens cover it up. Um, That's sort of true. But yeah, he, they're, they're being really grotesque to yeah, her and he's being defensive and they want to fight over it. But yeah, he rather than, you know, standing down, yeah, he beats them over the head with a wrench. Now, you could argue they're asking for it, but yeah, he, he pretty much does. <laughs> I mean, he, he batters them whether he kills them or not. I don't know. Does it actually specifically say? They look uh, pretty dead. They look pretty dead. <laughs> you can, you when can I just well, on their corpses after they've I, gone but down. Obviously, that never has chance to develop because you're sucked up yeah. into a spaceship before. But it did make me like. I'm going back to it now. I remember that scene playing, you know, pretty strongly. And going back to it now, just seeing him, you know, pretty much just murder two guys in front of Jen, yeah. and then she's like, "His hand shoots me. first moments, <laughs> yeah. suggesting that he's not he's not just a nice guy, and that he, I suppose also that he's capable of." what you see him doing the rest of the game, which is blasting the crap out of everything, I suppose. And later, his own girlfriend, kind of. Um, mm. It's a 2006 FPS. I wouldn't have expected any different. It is. Totally, I mean, yeah, how, yeah. how deep do we want to talk about the, the general overarc of the story here? Um, yeah, go for it. Yeah, so I, 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 once again, John, you, you probably are correct there. It is a 2006 you know, first-person shooter. How much emphasis you want to put on the story development. But I think by starting off with characters like that, they set themselves up to make this maybe a bit more than just generic A story first person shooter. I think they they initially, whether it's through multiple game design you know, or multiple teams working on a story, it feels like it is structured in a way where lots of pans have been involved and it hasn't quite made uh, a coherent piece throughout because the characters seem all over the place because you're meant to, you're meant to, I guess, understand Tommy in a way of not wanting to necessarily just follow uh, his grandfather's footsteps and stay on the reservation, you know, and strike 
striker land free. And you can also understand Jen's kind of like, well, this is where my family is. You know, I want to stay here. But Tommy just turns out to be such a whiny character throughout the entirety of the game. Like, at every opportunity, he's just, look, I want to find Jen and go home. At, at what point does he not understand that home doesn't exist anymore because the alien invasion has happened? But no, the whole time he's just, I want to go home. I want to go home. And it's not until the very last where, essentially, Jen is, is killed by his, his very hands. He's like, oh, maybe I should embrace this native uh, culture that might actually save the world. It's, it's just really wishy-washy. And I think they, they try. They, they obviously sat and tried to put, put a decent story in there. But I, I think it takes itself far too seriously for far too long before ultimately just you know, falling apart. I mean, that's just, <laughs> once again, 2006. First-person space sci-fi shooter, yeah. But yeah, I think for for 2019, Tony, it was like this story yeah. is all over the place. Yeah, I think that's what we tried to do here: is that we tried to remember when we can, if we have that context available to us, how we felt about it at the time, and mm. also how it comes across to us now, whether we played it then or whether we didn't. So I didn't play it then, other than that, just that that intro sequence and the thing that struck me playing it now. Obviously, I'm aware of what games were like back then. But the thing that struck me is the tone being all over the shop. Mm. There were points when it reminded me of Duke Nukem almost. It was so goofy and silly. And obviously, you know, it shares a certain amount of DNA with Duke Nukem, with the 3D Realms badge being right there at, at the start. Uh, and obviously, Tommy isn't quite the complete meat-headed, wise-cracking fool that Duke is. However, there are moments where he goes from being, you know, utterly traumatized and distressed by this genuinely horrific situation that they're in which to be honest is all very very b-movie uh mm -hmm. and you know yeah b-movie would be generous in in terms of the scripting and, and things like that i think but again understanding the times but he will suddenly segue from oh my god the horror you know the horror to some crack about doom or um you know uh some kind of quip that he's just you know yeah but the, the comparisons to doom are there but i think that the thing you know that doom is doom's just doom like it, it it doesn't take itself seriously the story is kind of hogwash it's there if you want it in the background um and it, it just exists where i think this and i remember back in 2006 being really blown away by that opening scene thinking oh wow this this could you know take stories you know a little step further and you know you mentioned earlier in the show bioshock came out a year later so yeah. it's it's not like we were you know out of the realms of possibility of what a first person sh shooter could do. Mm. Yeah, so I just think that the characters set themselves up for that. It doesn't help that the antagonist is goddamn awful as well. Um, she's they she's one of these antagonists um, that completely believes in herself and her race and her civilization, yet you're like wandering through the ship, completely single-handedly decimating the entirety of our armada. <laughs> Yeah, and she's, and she's still like going, sort of acting like, yeah, yeah oh, I nothing. allowed you, I allowed Sheesh. this to happen. It's fine. And yeah, her her dialogue is that of a of a of a like either a really ancient movie like baddie or a mm -hmm. or a sort of kids cartoon. You know, she's kind of wisecracking and doing all that sort of you know moustache twirling nonsense. Yeah, and there's but there's elements there like the, the harvesting of human race. Like I know it's been done before, but there's oh, elements in the yeah, game which many is, times, but it's still know, horrific. Yeah, in there's. Theory. There's elements in there that, okay, that's interesting. And the, the two you know, Native American cultures colliding. I think there's a whole section there that could have been really interesting. They just don't develop any of that no, stuff. And you, no. it ends up just being this hogwash of stuff that's happening 
in the background. And it's also the game's really front heavy with uh, front and center of that stuff. So at the start of the game, you have that whole kind of cutscene, and it goes on as you're working your way through um, the ship. The you know, there's lots of kind of cinematic bits going on. You know, things crushing people and you know yeah. buses and like all that stuff really plays. But as you as you get further into the game. It just seems the story elements become less and less and less until it's really contracted. The level designs become more and more elaborate, yeah. don't they, at that point? So it becomes more of a game and less of a cinematic in the second mm. half, I would say. But it's it's brave at points because at the very start, you, you come across and, um, you know, you even see two children get uh, yeah. eviscerated by, yeah. <laughs> by the aliens, which, you know, not pulling its punches for 2006, even now. Yeah, it's like, quite grim. Blimey. While we're talking about the children, what what are those sequence? What is that sequence with the demonic ghost girl about? I did not understand that. I what, think like, in terms of the story, I understand they're harvesting humans and they're turning turning some people into soldiers and drones. Right, that's that's about it. That's all. So what, where did the demon ghost girl come from? It just seemed like a crowbar of uh, you know. Well, they had um, to get your spirit powers was, in there somehow. It was like a creepy set piece that they could put in as well with the um, mm. the radio show talking about it. Okay. Yeah. Right. Also, okay. also, one of the things we do, you know, the part of the story is that you know, as Tommy, you do eventually gain the the powers of the, the you know, the spirit, your ancestors, and you can yeah. do something essentially called spirit walk, which is interesting in a gameplay point of view. Yeah. But once again, just they don't. It, it happens two or three scenes, and the one scene where you think they're going to develop it towards the end of the game, they actually just cut it short because <laughs> the area kind of gets in, invaded by. Um, yeah. Swarm. So it's just like there's some quite. Mm. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> he says like you're going to go through seven trials. Seven trials. Like, and yep. then it's like, oh no, wait one trial. Cancel, cancel that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I actually, we'll get onto more of the level design stuff. But I actually thought they used all it is is pressing a button and turning on your detective vision. But actually, <laughs> teleporting out of your physical form to solve it's puzzles, cool. I thought was quite. Cool. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a bit more about the protagonist, though, if we can. Uh, Tommy. Uh, so in the original design document uh, before the project restart, the character of Tommy was originally called Talon Brave. And this was, uh, I believe it was going to be, you know, as often these projects are when they first start, the ambitions, the ambition was that it would be a trilogy. We're going to make three of these games and a film and a cartoon. No, I don't know about that bit, but you know how it is. Uh, we've seen this with other things like Too Human, of course, that was going to be a trilogy. Uh, although the main character's name was changed after the restart, uh, the name Talon was moved to be the name of Tommy's Spirit Hawk, uh, which is effectively your golden arrow through this game. But a nice way of doing it, I thought. This name was not accidental. It was a nod to the old version of the project, says yeah, IMDb. Uh, more interestingly, I think Tommy is voiced by Michael Greyeyes and Jen is voiced by Crystal Lightning, who are both Plains Cree. Michael Greyeyes talking about the game said i was impressed with the way 3d realms conceived and wrote tommy hollywood typically relegates our different indigenous cultures into either a single pan indian construct of some type radical aim protester type slick corporate anglicized casino businessman type etc or most commonly as a historical figure typically from a plains culture in fact the overwhelming majority of roles written for native actors are in the western genre there are a few opportunities for us to appear outside that paradigm, and when we do, it is often equally narrow in focus. The writers at 3D Realms were always open to my comments, which I freely offered, and took my notes seriously in nearly all instances, changing dialogue or thematic content. Which is quite interesting. I think his performance is patchy, again, uh, not perhaps terrible for a, a 2006 game. You can definitely hear, I think, 
I feel like the the genuine uh, Native American in his tone and his delivery. But uh, but again, I think he's not very well served by some dialogue and scenes which are you know faintly ridiculous. However, uh, one thing about the although Michael Greyes is is very generous about uh, the writing of the game, uh, the Cherokee land of the ancients is, in the game is sort of depicted as an Arizona-like desert, uh, although it's actually in Oklahoma. Um, but in fact, prior to the Trail of Tears, the Cherokee resided in North Carolina, Tennessee, etc., which has very different. Uh, landscape and countryside so but I mean I suppose that's not a, a deal breaker necessarily uh, but it's sort of interesting that they went so far with their authenticity and consistency and then and then just left that element slightly incorrect the magical isopod partially on this from the forum says a lot of praise ideas and aesthetics were very obviously 90s with some clear quake and unreal inspiration in there it felt outdated in 2006 and age has not helped it what really stood out to me was the use of a Cherokee man as the protagonist and actually having him start the game living on res, which is still incredibly rare 13 years later. They even had a Plains Cree actor do his voice work. Having grown up near the Omginong Reserve in Ontario, I thought the representation was great. Whether or not indigenous groups were consulted on this game or not, I have no idea. But what seemed less great to me was the use of spiritualism as a game mechanic. It seemed less like the creators were interested in indigenous culture and more like a bunch of white guys thought it was a great idea for a video game during a brainstorming session. I really do appreciate the representation, but I felt the delivery was tacky. It's way more respectful than the treatment of indigenous characters have gotten in other games, but if you're using culture and folklore as a game mechanic, you really have to tread carefully and do it right. Overall, I think Prey is just kind of okay as a shooter. It deserves a place in history for actually making an effort to have an indigenous lead who isn't just a facsimile on some polygons, but as a game, nothing exceptional. I, I do agree, but the, the, at the same time, I, essentially you only ever see him in a bar at the start. And yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I, I just don't. It, to me, it didn't feel like that was a, a real selling point of the game. I don't think they, they knocked it out of the park. It didn't spend you know, 10 minutes walking you through uh, and, you know, the area that they, they grew up in. It was just a, a bar and you're told that these two... You know, are Cherokees. Mm. I, yeah. I mean, I, I just once again, I really felt that one of my my memories of this game was it had a, a fairly strong story in it. And actually, going back to it now, I don't, you know, whether that was the case in two thousand and six, but mm. right now, I think it's a story that feels like it's had many, many hands um, put across it over many, it, you know, many iterations of this game. And this is kind of the pieces that are left. And I also agree. I think the the Spirit Walk stuff. I think is a really neat gameplay idea that feels like you know they needed somehow to have an element to to get it into the game and maybe come across um having the protagonist that way um you know working back from the game mechanic to the point of uh, the story being around that i don't know but yeah moving on this yeah the, don't don't come to this game for the story <laughs> but it's i mean it's i think probably at the risk of retreading old ground it did feel more groundbreaking to me when i first played it in mm. 2006 because mm-hmm. although you had had you know plenty of the fps's in the late 90s and early 2000s that did have more of a story than you know the original wolfenstein 3d and doom to actually have you know a protagonist that you were more invested in or supposed to be more invested in and other characters that you were supposed to have sort of bigger interactions and and that with they had somewhat laid down a bit of groundwork for this with 
I think Doom 3 becoming more serious and more story-based than previous. And Quake 4, I, I want to say famously as if everybody knows about it, but that had the, the whole storyline thing where your character, although I don't remember having any, any actual interest in the character or any feelings for any of the Marines, but you have a very a very interesting, cool first-person section there where your character gets captured and um, sort of mechanically turned into one of the enemy soldiers instead of right. instead of a human. Yeah. And that was, at the time, that I remember playing that probably after I played this, to be honest. Yeah. But I remember seeing that and thinking, wow, that's, you know, to see that from a first-person view is actually really affecting yeah. and really, you know, way more than I had previously thought was... I don't know about possible, but you know, previously sort of you know expected out of a game like this. And at this point, you'd also had Fear, which had done more interesting things with first-person shooters than just sort of you know bland pointing and mm. shooting at faceless enemies. So I mean, it was it was kind of getting there, and with lots of the mechanics that they also include in this, I think overall it kind of raises the maybe not as interesting story to a. I th- I I definitely think overall like a more rounded package. Like nothing's you know incredible, but it's all it all certainly felt above average I, for I, me at least I, at the time. I, you know, although I agree, John. Like for first person shooters, I think this was a a big step in the right direction and was one of the reasons that I brought into this. But I think as an overall story, you know, it's there's not anything particularly new here. Although back in two thousand and six, it was nice to see that stuff put into a first person shooter um obviously you know many many first person shooters have been since there and have have, have had better stories and obviously half-life people always bring up around there as well so you know it's not like it had never been done in the first person shooter but you know it was definitely a step in the right direction and i remember that being you know one of the reasons i I brought this as a you know as a new 360 game i wanted to see you know where this was going Mm. yes and obviously while the development of the original game started before there's nothing you know we shouldn't forget the influence of the fact that both half-life and half-life 2 had come out in 98 and 2004 two Mm -hmm. absolute landmark titles in in terms of uh, telling a story in first person that's again not to dismiss other games that came out around them or before them or after them but uh, in terms of there's there's no denying the the sort of the impact that those games made i think in in this sense in this area at least another uh, interesting storytelling facet of the game is the fact that much of the exposition is actually delivered via it's not really explained why but when you're on this alien craft you can tune into <laughs> you'd automatically tune into the radio show but what perhaps uh, what i didn't know until i researched it for for this uh, it was a real radio show coast to coast am with art bell actually ran it's still running in fact uh it ran from two, um, 1984 i should say still going art bell sadly uh whose voice you hear in the game passed away last year last april age 72 but he's effectively playing himself he recorded all his uh, shows in the game directly from the studio in his house which is where he actually did his own his real radio show from so somebody else has since taken over the show um but yeah so this is a sort of a an inside joke slash spoof slash kind of way of grounding the situation and yet also um yeah making it seem somehow authentic but also kind of having a bit of fun with it um apart from the the absurdity of just like stopping in the middle of a spaceship and listening to a late night talk radio show 
Um, I actually thought these bits were quite entertainingly done. Mm. I mean, from a storyline point of view, if you're, you know, putting yourself into Tommy's shoes, this is your link back to the real world. Right. I mean, this is you knowing that, I mean, you, you could be, you know, a million light years away from Earth at this point. Although I think actually you see Earth at various sections <laughs> through. Sort or of you the could just be made. I, I wondered at some point if it was a, you know, this is all a dream hallucination in, you know, uh, episode of insanity or something like that and this is a sort of a twilighty zone feel about the whole thing but like this is this is sort of grounding you back down to earth as you assume i think as you play through the game that time is passing in you know over the course of an evening or over over a night and you hear these radio shows well, probably what five times six times throughout the, the course mm. of it and it's it seems like things are progressing and the uh, radio show has various call-in people and he starts off by just dismissing it and going, "Oh, there's a lot of cranks out there tonight. You yeah, know, a lot right. of lot of uh, prank phone calls and and crazy people ringing in tonight." And starts talking about seeing sort of lights over Texas and things like that. And it it makes you, I, I guess, grounds you into thinking that this isn't just an you know an extremely isolated incident that has happened just to Tommy, who's been you know had his bar sucked up into the the alien spaceship. Like you know that the the stakes are, are pretty high and the first few of these are really quite early on into the game so i think it provides some some really good background for what's actually happening hmm. so let's talk visuals thinking about then and now so who played this first tony yes i mean i i i still think they're relatively good now you know for, for the age you think about the i mean the attack engine is was a very powerful engine um so the thing it was always famous for, I you know, thinking about Doom Free, like can it can it run Doom Free? It was the lighting effects, wasn't it? And um this game has some you know, some decent lighting effects to it. Some of the textures are looking a little bit, you know, older by today's standards, certainly some of the, the facial animations and whatnot. It's got a really interesting kind of like a biomechanical feel to the whole thing, which is you know, I like. I mean I I like games with a slightly different um, aesthetic to it and that, and that's one of them i don't think it, it it's much more than that but it, it feels yeah it 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 still feels decent now it, it runs you know fairly smooth um like i say some of the lighting there's that there's one scene in particular quite early on the game it's it's almost like all the event horizon scene where you come into a room and you've got a um spinning kind of mirror disc thing sphere that's going around and it's it's causing light to hit and shadows around the room and that that actually now still looks relatively uh decent how about you well i think for for the fact that this may have been the first game that I played on the uh, on the new hardware uh, after years of playing on the original Xbox and PCs, I think it was at the time probably a, quite a revelation to see the the jump up in in graphics between the the two console generations. Um, also, you know, not hindered by the fact that lots of this is quite dark and quite. Even even the corridors and stuff that aren't dark, they still have lots of the textures on the walls are very, as you say, organic looking and sort of biopunky. And there's a lot of uh, sections that look like you're, you know, you're walking through somebody's intestines. And the lots of the doors are, you know, sphinctery looking or bits where it's like half of a mouth, like the bottom jaw that's been propped up against the wall. And it's it's quite, you know, it pulls from a very dark, dingy color palette. And then you've got, you know, lots of the light sources are literally like fire from a cigarette lighter and and sort of weird distorted um, 
I, I've got a you know really strong memory of like sort of flashing like emergency style lighting and stuff that I think it draws out the the idea that yeah you know, maybe they were hiding not incredible looking textures and things behind sort of darkness and shadows and you know when you go into the spirit walking vision everything kind of takes on a you know grayscale monochrome look and that looks quite quite cool because it's I guess again more bluish to me but I suppose it depends on your TV setting <laughs> yeah I, I sort of gray blue ghostly colors yeah yeah, yeah mm. like the cover of the box yes yes <laughs> yes yes uh, but yeah. yeah, I think I think they probably use some clever tricks to hide the fact that for an early 360 game, now going back to it with a 55 inch TV like six mm. feet away from me, and yeah. you know an Xbox One X and everything, you do see those some of those rough edges on things. Mm. And I think I noticed this more with um, Doom Three very specifically, but you get that thing where you can almost see. They they can't be individual pixels on the walls, but you can all you see where something looks like it was kind of drawn in, you know, like the Microsoft Paint pencil look, where when you you draw a diagonal line, you can see the you know the yeah. individual squares around the outside. There were little bits like that, but I think um, for for the time that it wasn't for like I say the first first game or second game that I played on new console generation, I wouldn't have really noticed any of it then and. I think now I'm just not discriminating enough to care about it, but I did did and still do think that um, it looks pretty cool. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised overall. The The thing that I really noticed was if I let the controller go for a minute for whatever reason and just left it in certain scenes, I thought it was quite impressive. When things started to break up a bit for me was the movement, not that the engine falls apart or there's tearing or glitching or anything like that, but more, and I don't know if this was deliberate character control or, or the engine, but Tommy always felt slightly lurchy to me, um, or it felt like I was lurching forward. It would have been really interesting. I know this is just purely sport brat elite gamist behavior, but I would have liked to have seen this with one of the, uh, one, to be one of the games that had the nine or 12 times pixel upscaling and frame rate improvements that the Xbox One X could afford it. Um, because it ran perfectly fine and it looked okay, but it would have been—I I would have wondered if it had, uh, would have benefited. I think, from a, from a modern gamer's point of view, everything's quite flat. Um, yeah. And but I mean that that is the engine that was then, and that does once again remind me of stuff like you know Doom and Quake. Um, you know there there's a, a speediness to it that um, comes along with that engine, and I think there is although the textures would have been very impressive at the time. Yeah. Right, right now, if I think, you know, if you think, well, what, what, how would this game look now? They would, they would cover a lot of those areas in steam and mist and you know, volumetric effects. Oh yeah, um, for sure. You know, there would be, yeah. you know, be it the light sources would be cast in huge shadows rather than just, you know, very much the individual one, you know, directly off Tommy yeah. or whoever. Um, so I think, yeah, there is quite a plain look to it now, but that is what. Reminds I think other me games playing... from the time. I've seen other games from the time that have aged a lot, a lot more or less gracefully. I would say that's because it was a strong game from then, anyway, yeah. and, and that's what it helps. It was a you know, it's a strong release of an engine then, so I think that's just helped it you know age you know a bit more gracefully now. One bit that did stand out for me was these reappear in a couple of sections. There are these big spheres. They're supposed to be spheres, but you notice how low poly they are because mm. they've got all these geometrical edges. They look like something from 
you know, years gone by, even from 2006, they, they, they're, they're supposed to be asteroid spheres or whatever, but they're, they're like, you know, dodecahedrons or something. They're all, you know, they've got, they've got like multiple faceted outers and really, really plain textures. So that was where the game kind of showed its age. And the skyboxes, the, the bitmapped externals as well. Um, which is also so even going back to Bioshock and looking outside at Rapture now, you go, oh, <laughs> <laughs> and this is like that only more so, I would say. Well, but I think the the thing, if you know, if you were to show me a, a picture of Prey versus Doom or anything, um, and it just be a, a scene in a corridor, I'd you know, it'd be troubled to, to tell them apart. But I, I think that the thing that still now and, the, and it's still, I think, to me, fairly a unique and impressive look is the actual kind of more organic feel to this game. Um, be it, I, I, and we always I remember when we first talked about this game, and you know, oh God, we're going to do the game with the uh, the anal doors because we all yeah. we used to just joke about it Sphinxes, because yeah. yeah, the Sphinx and they you can't help but just call them those because they they look it, you know, they just absolutely look. They it. literally and, sphincter like the, I mean the ones in a you know in the original Alien film they have yeah, they're, sphincter, but they're more mechanical. Like yes, they're yeah. they're absolutely these, these are fleshy these sphincters. Yeah, these are yeah. fleshy and yeah. so yeah. that to me that you know that it being um, I suppose it's kind of Geiger-esque a little bit of you know the 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 environment having a um, an organic and mechanical feel to it. I think is is still a, a decent look now. And the fact that you know you can use, I mean, essentially they're just fancy doorways, but they're yeah. fancy doorways uh, with um, you know a decent uh, interesting look to them is you know it's yeah it it. But I remember the feeling of playing that demo and walking into those into that that enemy ship environment and the combination mm-hmm. of the the icky bottom doors and the and the upside downy bits and all that it did manage to it did give me a sense of foreboding that perhaps just more flat levels set on a regular mm-hmm. bog standard alien spaceship would have would have not had it it had the the effect of of, of you know um discombobulating yes and very much of the the um the uh, magnet walkways yeah exactly yeah. we'll fall more into the gameplay to a point where we yes. talk about but the fact that you, know, you can find yourself um upside down or yeah. you know walking on the side of the wall with enemies attacking you standing up from but yeah, they're that, still standing up on their legs and they're sh- shooting at you from the side all that, that stuff's stuff. fairly unique um and still yeah you know, in, i can't think of other games that yeah. have done quite quite what what prey does in that i i may have just Certainly not played not it. at that time mm. so so and, from a but from a visual point of view, you know that's that is still interesting. Um, yeah. yeah, from a design point of view and gameplay, it's, it's certainly interesting. But that's its own thing. But from a visual point of view, yeah, that's that was a pretty cool little hook to uh, to hang this package on. Area, the, but I think the visuals really did fall down for me. Is the enemy designs are really muddy and unclear. Like I didn't feel any of them were particularly memorable or strong. No, and they're very limited as to how many different uh, enemies and things there are as well. It's kind of the same with the weapons. I really liked the way that they all looked, and they're all, all very sort of organic, like living creatures. But you only get about six different guns in it, which seems yeah. Low most of them have a, a second fire mode in a in a p- perfect dark style or whatever. Yeah, um, but, but if yes. you talk about that acid launcher in particular, I, I like that one because if you just sit there and let it idle, you know the kind of the fingers that are holding the acid you know essentially acid container barrel section start to kind of flex like a, an alien-esque um, yeah. hand um which yeah. is really cool you know that's there's some other cool. nice touches i noticed as well like and again I'm, I'm sure some games had already done stuff like this especially high-end pc shooters but the fact that it still made me notice when i shot into a pipe 
in in this environment and the you know it left the right kind of looking hole with the right kind of sparks or smoke coming out of it and stuff like that and still some games don't pay as much attention to that i feel as as they could do at times so again it felt like there was you know a lot of effort to try to sell the environment even if it because of our expectations have changed perhaps it falls short in places but uh but i don't think it was for a lack of trying at the at the point it was being put together in 2001 to 2005 kind of time and there's lots of small touches like that i can't remember where it was that we talked about this briefly before but there's that um that thing in games specifically around this time where they love just making everything kind of interactive so you know in the beginning right. of this particularly you can like turn on all the taps in the bathroom <laughs> and tire yeah. up with a hand right <laughs> all of that sort of nonsense that I feel yeah. like we may have moved beyond a little bit now, but there was very, there was a very clear period in gaming history where it's like you have to be able to interact with everything. And even this, like they put the jukebox in the bar that you can scroll through and listen to different pieces of music. And yeah. there's what, two or three different, um, three or four, like sort of poker style gambling mm, machines. There's like a blackjack one, and yeah. yeah, there's there's no need for any. I mean, of they got them some all, achievements but, attached to them. But. Yeah, but they're all they've got like they've clearly all got little systems built into them, and they've got, you know, they've got like a money gaining and losing system. Which if you sit down and play it, it works properly. Like, but that. it's got <laughs> no attachment to any mechanic outside of the game. Like, if there, if there was, I mean, it's ridiculous. You some you tell some, that to the person who spent well, like a week making that yeah. stupid black. Yeah, and the game fact that you have to perfect. win some like, insane amount of like, I did win. I got the achievement for one of them, like maybe the blackjack or something. But uh, some of them you you'd have to play for quite long. Oh yeah, and I actually deliberately went back. There's a Pac-Man style game called Green <laughs> Man, I think. Yeah, uh, which is yeah, it's not it's not great. It the the feel isn't great. The obviously the I know I mean we yeah we're not doing the Pac Man show, but the AI on the enemies is not right. Um, uh, but uh, it's interesting. It, one thing that it did that particular game did make me think was obviously this game is famous famous for its portal tech, and I really don't want this to sound like in any way uh dismissing the the work or the idea behind that because i still really like that thing where you go from one room through a hole and come out in a different place it's really cool but it is actually the exact same concept as going through a warp tunnel in pac-man isn't it because it's just changing the geom you know literally changing the position it's not as kind of mind-boggling as as it seems in but a way 2006 uh. isn't there? Well, yeah, no, but I mean, in terms of keeping keeping both rooms, saw the other end of that warp tunnel, that would have blown your mind. Oh no, it was it. It still looks cool. Don't get me wrong. And I suppose the tech wasn't there until you could actually keep that much of a of location in kind of memory at any one time. So, so it was it was ambitious for when this first when if if the if the portals were there from the start in '95. Bear in mind this came out in 2006, and the game portal, which revolves around that mechanic, came out. Presumably, it was already in development as Narbacula dropped before Prey was released. But yeah, um, but it's it's just interesting that it's one of those things that's kind of quite smoke and mirrorsy in a way. It's like it's one of those things that makes you go whoa, but well, actually, it's quite it's 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 a thing that in a video game is actually not that difficult to do in some ways. Um, you know, as I say, yeah, they, probably... they, yeah, you just say that. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. It is literally just no, I, changing I do, someone's yeah, position. I, I think like, once again in in twenty nineteen, I, I think. Obviously, the existence of Portal pretty much makes the design of this game redundant <laughs> because with, with that you can fire the Portal pretty much anywhere, and you know. Oh you god, can yeah, make... and that was amazing. You know, that, I, I, mean, I mean, absolutely. It's... I mean, that was it groundbreaking. Was so cool. Absolutely groundbreaking, and yeah, it's 
just light years ahead of what's in this because essentially those portals are just elements that you fall into a different part doors, of really. the level. Yeah. yeah, they are just doors. But I don't know, I remember 2006 that being a really cool selling feature. And that it still actually, looks good. Looking into looks, another yeah. area, I think it really does work. Yeah, you're looking yeah. into the same area that you're in. Yeah, is is still quite cool. Yeah, <laughs> one even of the, one you, of those um, that really stuck out is where you go through a portal. I think you're in a room and you see like this box with a little ball inside it, and you go through a portal mm-hmm. and suddenly realise that you're inside the box. On yeah. this little tiny planetoid, and an alien runs in, and you see this sort of huge yeah. vision of this alien's mm. face. And then a few seconds later, he comes through the portal, and you're like fighting him on the little thing. That was one of about four things that really it stayed in my brain between playing it in 2006. That's where they had some real fun with it, for again. sure. Yeah. And actually, it reminded me of some of the scenes. This is a very mild spoiler for the current MCU movie, but there's actually some bits in in that with Mysterio's abilities that are very kind of play around with the scale with scale and mm. stuff in the same way and um similarly kind of dazzling because yeah your brain just doesn't isn't isn't expecting certain things even even when you've seen a lot of you know, stuff crazy stuff before in your life uh, fictional stuff yeah there's uh, even a, a play of that towards the end of the game isn't it where you're inside a, a cube yourself and you're having to yeah. move the cube around the environment whilst in the cube yeah, there's a few yeah. extra one-off mechanics like mm. that. Uh, we should mention the, obviously, spinning the room around you with the shooting plates uh, to end up landing on different floors. I, I mean, I'm, I would not hesitate to suggest that you could link everything together in these games. I, I'm sure that each level is very much a self-contained thing. That Certainly at the end of each level, the screen fades to black and it loads in the next stage. I don't think there's any attempt to have this alien space vessel um, actually make logical sense. But within the little subsections within which you effectively solve these puzzles, I guess I was, I was happy in that I was playing along with the show and I wanted to get the game done relatively quickly so I could listen to the show and not get too far behind with the other games that I've got coming up for the podcast. But I was also, I was, I was also, you know, I was making steady progress pretty much the whole time. I got moderately stuck in one room at one stage, just missed a, uh, missed looking at a, a a pad and had to look up a walkthrough. But most of the time it was fairly straightforward, but there were points where I actually thought they could have gone more to town with the complexity of the levels and combining Mm -hmm. the portals and the spirit walking and the gravity stuff. And I think it does like the puzzles all felt nice and and satisfying to solve and enjoyable to solve. But I think there was a there was the possibility to go even deeper and more complex, especially if you're because your spirit guide is quite helpful. Uh, who you know Talon goes and sits on the kind of the next thing that you need to interact with a lot of the time, which sometimes it feels a bit too obvious, and then at other times he feels like he won't sit where you want him to. But um, but I felt that if there, there might have been a way of making the puzzles more complex while still giving the player a slightly I, better hint. I think one of the, the, the problems um, revolving around the spirit walk is nine times out of ten it involved going through a shielded door that you couldn't walk through in your physical presence and finding a switch. Um, occasionally you'd have to fire at something to, to change the way the, the, the environment worked. But yeah, it's it very much like nine times out of ten if you hit a, a, a shielded door, you just you know whipped out, yep, do that, done. And move on. So I, I agree that there could have been, I think, maybe a two or threefold um, design pattern to to allow you to. But every time, because you could 
you could go quite far in your spirit world, couldn't you? But ultimately, yeah, a long way, yeah, yeah. Ultimately, you had to always, you know, you couldn't move Tommy, you know, leave your spirit walk somewhere in, you know, a bit further in the level, yes. and then you know, move Tommy to another part, then continue with the spirit walk, and you know, so there was always that element of well, I've done that one thing, I need to continue forward with yeah. uh, the other character. So they could have gone a bit further there, but I, I do yeah. wonder if. Um, this, I mean, this game obviously was delayed multiple times. Yes. I wonder what was the element that they kept coming back to saying, what well, this is well worth to continue with. I, I mean, for me, I think it was probably the portal tech. Yeah. Um, because I think that's a really neat game mechanic. Yeah, I think it doesn't the spirit actually... stuff was there from the start, or at least yeah. some form of it. I think, I mean, it does feel like, yeah, it, it feels like that this is a bunch of concepts that they wanted to use and they tried to tie them all together, but actually they all kind of, they don't really operate together most of the time mm. most of the puzzles are one or the other mechanic rather than them being integrated i think i could be wrong but i can't think of any puzzles or too many puzzles where you not only have to spirit walk but also go through a portal but also rotate the room and then you know they, they i think maybe that would just be too complicated without the right player guidance but i remember some there is a there is a sort of challenge tower as it were later in the game that it's like three or four floors high that the the big bad says if you can get through here and you actually when you first walk in it's like portals everywhere and you're going oh my god this is going to be a right mind scrambler then all the portals shut down and it just leaves you with like a load of magnetic plates so but you do have to leave tommy on different platforms and then you have to observe and switch them there's a couple of bits where you have to kind of go back into your into your uh, physical form during the process of Tommy being moved around as a solid or something like that that rings a bell. Yeah, it's a bit where you leave him on a lift and go round through a little section and set the lift off. And, yeah. But they're, they're like two levels deep. That's, you yeah. know, going through a doorway and pressing a button and leaving your guy on the, yes. the actual platform. But it never goes that third or fourth step. Unfortunately, yeah, Portal came along and then you started throwing things through portals and interacting yeah. and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it was... There's not a lot of physics going on in this game. No, as far as I can um, But I have to say that one of my absolute favourites is the mechanical plates. So the ones where you can, I mean, they're just white, um, shiny uh, lights on the floor that you can, yeah. essentially you've got mechanical boots that you can walk, feels like your mechanical boots you can walk on um, yep. and you have to turn those on and off. What what really is cool about that is that you can be walking on the, the mechanical plate, the room turns upside down. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, the enemies will chase you on these mechanical plates. So although you're having a firefight they often upside down, on. Yeah, it, you don't really see and feel like you're doing that until the moment you kill them, and so they just drop from yeah. <laughs> from the level, yeah, yeah. just yeah. like plummet downwards, which always satisfied every mm. single time. I was like, that's that's cool. And a couple, there was a couple of times I remember, um, uh, I shot someone through, and they dropped off a platform and then landed on a door. Uh, that then I got into a spaceship, opened, and then he continued falling through a. Uh, uh, this the door that I end up getting into a spaceship through, and it was like okay, yeah, some of these are yeah physics mechanics. Are, are, That's true. Yeah, There's a bit of here. They're here, yeah. but yeah. yeah, they could done more of them, but they're there. Let's talk a little about the sound because I think sounds really important for uh, shooters. I think it's important for sci-fi horror. I think it's yeah important for games in general. Uh, I think for me, the sounds a little bit. I don't know what again. F- yeah, a bit. I flat. would say generic. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's not a lot of sound effects that may you know really excited me. Most of them are fine, but there's nothing that even like made me. Th- um, you know, I remember. F- oh, I mean, the sound design in Half Life Two for me is still right up there. 
there's nothing really that's kind of stuck with me like the sounds of different weapons or enemies in that game there's a lot of kind of generic uh halo-esque um kind of aliens talking in guttural voices uh yeah none of the weapons really sounded super exciting like i would just get a thrill from firing them that's what you really want in a sci-fi mm. first person shooter um and i can't remember you know a few squidgy you know yeah kind of bog standard squidgy sound effects for the biomechanical areas i can't remember too much else to say about it really i think the main one that sticks out for me is the that first like rifle that you get when you switch that into the secondary function and this this kind of goes into the visuals as well i'm not even sure if it's um obvious in the single player but uh when you you use the secondary yeah you go into the sniper rifle fire and i think what actually happens is that like a little stalk shoots out of the back of the rifle and like comes up to your eye because i think you see it in the multiplayer on the character models but i'm not sure if it's ever obvious in the single player but when it does that it makes like quite a nice satisfying little sort of sucky squishy noise of this little thing shooting i guess like (laughs) Imagine like a snail's eye like popping right. out on its little stalk. I like I like that. And then the um the actual shot firing in the sniper rifle, it had quite a good like I don't I don't know how to describe it, but it's it's like a sort of a ringing it feels almost more like a sensation than a than a sound. You know when so if you get like clang off metal and it sort of it reverberates through your head in a way that you feel it more than you hear it mm-hmm. like the sniper rifle had a noise like that that was it felt almost unworldly <laughs> and there were plenty of sections where the the enemy aliens were shooting at you and you'd know immediately when they were sniping because you could hear this kind of ring noise rather than you know the normal just the, the regular fire on it was just sort of a pitter patter of shots but that that one still sticks out for me from years and years ago yeah for me you know if you're talking about the kind of the heritage of a you know being somewhat of a a doom and quake clone i i I don't think it has any of those kind of iconic uh sounds from from those games i just think it's really weak and tepid the 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 equivalent of a shotgun you know doesn't really have any kind of punch or blast where it just fires some acid out and you know that's that um yeah, I just found them really weak. Even for mm. the time, I just think it's you know going now. You've got you know, a massive sound system, and you, know, you could barely get the thing to you know, even think about using a subwoofer. So, I, yeah, it just feels to me feels tepid. And along with that, I mean, the musical score's quite interesting as well because it it feels almost like it's slightly from a different game. <laughs> yeah, it's, because it, right. it's so bombastic. Like time, at times, it, it's pretty bombastic. Big cinematic. Yeah, yeah. But the the gameplay just like it, it never really ratchets ratches is up to where the music is sitting from tempo wise and yeah i kind like, of wanted something more alien sounding more yeah. sci-fi a bit more creepy like that's not to say the music's bad i think the music's oh no like, perfectly good but yeah i mean it's the, in the wrong the, game <laughs> jeremy soul and julian soul yeah they 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 know their stuff with that kind of music but yeah, it, it totally agrees. It's, it's, it's like, like they it's went generic well, superhero. Yeah, music. we we want you to write this. This is the you know the, the spec sheet of what we're going to be designing, and they made the music to that spec sheet. But you know, over the time, they never yeah. quite got to make the game that fit the music. And then, but you know, it's already done, and let's put it in there. So it's not like I said once again, it's not distracting or anything like that. It's it's just 
it feels like it's just an, a, yeah, an element that doesn't quite match up. And that, Talking that, about the atmosphere as a whole, right? Elements of this game are truly horrific, right? You see mm-hmm. some horrible things. Oh, yeah. It's never... I never found it, I mean, like, remotely tense or scary. It's not like, scary. No. Like, do you, <laughs> well, you, do you, you think... You, you do don't you think, even die. Like, there's no, not even yeah. a punishment for getting we'll killed by things, which sucks a lot of the tension out we'll of it. We'll come on to that, but did... Yeah. Did you do you think back in either ninety five or two thousand? Let's say two thousand and one. Let's say this incarnation of the game. Do you think there was the intention to make this like? I remember playing it again. Sorry to mention it again, but I think it is kind of a relevant touchstone. Is is Bioshock? Now Bioshock isn't necessarily like the most scary game I've ever played, but it had such a strength of atmosphere. It creeped mm-hmm. me out in places, like mm-hmm. especially at the start. And do you think Prey was going for that? Do you th- or do you think it was just meant to be more goofy, B-movie, bombastic? Well, I mean, even go back to, um, you know, Doom 3 here, because one of the, one right. of the you know, more career at the time, like one of the big criticisms everyone had from Doom 3 was it's, you know, it's monster closets. Like, while I walked around the corner, and of course the monster was going to jump out of there. But it, it knew what it was doing. Like, you know, there was times in Doom 3 that I, I jumped, and I knew there was a monster closet right. around the corner, but it still made me jump because one, the way that the music interacted um, with the the on screen action, and just yeah, you know, and, and that game can at time can could be quite hard. So with this, you know, the combat yeah. is never really that challenging. Like if you occasionally you will die, but there's there's not much punishment to it. So you're not worried about diving. Um, the the enemies aren't particularly. Like, you don't look and think, oh, okay, you might go, oh, that's grotesque, but it doesn't freak you out. It's just like oh. Yeah, like a crab human thing. <laughs> <laughs> that oh, that thing can really like it, you know. And what well, once the other problem is, you know, part of the game design, like everything's a bullet sponge. Like it, it's just you just keep on throwing more and more ammo at them just to try to kill them. And it's just yeah. So I just think there's multiple elements of the game that stops it from being scary because I don't yeah. think the gameplay itself yeah. is attuned for that. But certain elements, like as I said at the start, I think. Thematically, it sets it up to be, yeah, a uh, proper sci-fi horror. A sci-fi horror feels but like it, it's meant to it, once be like Hellraiser or something, you know. In terms, I know that's more you know demonic than than sci-fi, but is that kind of? <clears> I felt like they were going for that kind of tone. This is yeah, it's kind of there, and it's I think it's supposed to be more, um, more sort of shocking in a in a way that you want to see this and think, oh my god, this is so awful. It's such a terrible thing that could you know is happening to the people in this world and it's all set up to be real and i think it it more is trying to go for that feeling of you know trying to unsettle you than actually you know make you feel sort of scary in the adrenaline monster closet type way and Mm. i do remember that the the advert that i'd originally seen for it Mm. was uh kind of putting it forwards as a, a horror game in that respect so they yeah they must have had that feeling of we want this to make people feel uneasy about mm. it i i think if they carried on with how the when you first enter um what's the ship called the sphere the sphere it's just the sphere yeah okay that's really so. generic yeah <laughs> okay so as you Big enter sphere, the tony it is yeah so as you enter the sphere and there's lots of processing of humans to essentially yeah. drain them of blood like that in itself is uneasy and I said there, there's a scene where you see a couple of children die, see your grandfather die, um, and you know, traveling through a couple of the environments where clearly multiple people are being held to be processed as li- basically liquid feed for, for yes. the people on the ship. That stuff 
has an uneasiness about it. But it's it's right at the start. And if if I think if they just carried on with a bit more um environmental storytelling rather than just um you know wandering through to get to the big bad at the end i think it could it could have had it have it but it, it just you know it for whatever yeah. reason i mean that stuff probably costs a ton more money and ton more time to develop whatnot and obviously um, uh you know compared to say the mini series tv mini series v which was about mm-hmm. aliens using humans as food this is much darker and more scary than that although actually that freaked a lot of you know but kids I mean, out in the early you... 80s but if you compare it to say the exact same subject matter in Under the Skin, Jonathan Glazier's film from a few years ago, that's to me was infinitely creepier than anything in Prey. Uh, use of music obviously was a huge part. But of that. you refer back to to Bioshock again. It, it's it's the environments that you know that not it's not the people well the people in the environment are scary when you meet them. But so much of that game is spent being slightly creeped out by what happened in Rapture, rather than you know the, the being attacked by the people within Rapture. So I just the prey never it, it's level yeah. um its architecture and level design it just never it never gets beyond the the opening scenes. Funnily enough, I was just thinking, oh yeah, no, there was a bit that made me jump, and then I realised it was the game that I'm playing for an upcoming show, <laughs> Observer. So <laughs> it wasn't this game at all. I don't think it made me jump at any stage. Something that's like a, a very similar comparison I found to this was, um, uh, spoilers for Mass Effect Two. But the collectors in Mass Effect are very, yeah. very similar in what they do to the aliens here. For most of that game, you have no idea what's going on, like what they're doing, why they're doing what they're doing. And then eventually you get to their ship at the very end after such a long period of time and you see all of the people in the tubes and there's a scene where one of them turns out to have been somebody that you could have bonded with very closely on the ship and you see them literally getting liquefied in this tube in front of you and yeah obviously that scene set up to be much more dramatic and scary and horrific and you know loud music blasting and all of you standing there screaming while this person's turning into goo but that was i think the the build-up to it was the tension part and was what actually made it horrible rather than this it's like immediately obvious from you know the first half hour of the game exactly what's going on and you just get numb to it so quickly. Mm. One thing I wanted to contest that you said, Tony, uh, I think this may be more an issue of semantics about what we think of when we use certain phrases. But you said bullet spongy. Now, I don't think of the enemies as bullet spongy in this. In that I didn't feel like they took too many hits to kill. But I think maybe what you mean by bullet spongy is that they don't react to being shot in any interesting way. <laughs> A bit of both, actually. OK. All right. <laughs> Yeah, I never really felt like they were too spongy in the sense of they were taking too many shots to die, but yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe some of them could have gone down with one headshot kind of thing. Do they? I'm not sure, but um, it's more that this shows this another place that this game shows its age is that uh, they don't they don't really they don't really acknowledge that they've been shot. I mean, there's these the the kind of the drone ship operatives you can actually decapitate and they still attack you for example, but a lot of the kind of mob enemies, you shoot them and they pretty much don't do anything. They just carry on being themselves until you finish them off. That's my, that was my impression I've got anyway. I think maybe they flinch, like the regular guys might flinch a tiny little <laughs> yeah. bit, but it's not, it's not even like, you know, we had 10 years before this with Goldeneye, yes. where you could shoot Popping someone around. in the hand or in the leg yeah. or something, yeah, and you yeah. get different reactions. They just don't seem to care. No, no. Right. And you also, 
seem to be completely bullet spongy as well. You can take a lot of punishment before yes. you die. Yeah. It and seems that, that doesn't the, actually the values... change in the harder setting either. Interesting. Mm. Uh, another thing I wanted to say about this is this comes under kind of two headings. This is both as the game as a as a first person shooter and also the spirit form and abilities. When I learned early on in the game, I was going to get a spirit bow and arrow. I thought, oh, cool. I love a bow and arrow in a game. This will be really cool. I get to shoot it through some small gaps and take enemies out the sky with it and all kind. Of, you don't really do you? It's kind of. And and it doesn't even really feel like a bow weapon. It just feels like you're firing kind of white shards. Yeah, there's kind of no point to it. You feel because you get the the spirit walk ability. Your body is still sat somewhere sort of waiting for the spirit to do its thing. Yeah. And you can take that spirit off a, a decent distance away. And if you want to, you can engage in the enemies with it. And I, th I think all it takes from them is just to turn around and shoot you once and you go back to your body. Yeah. But your yeah. arrows also seem to do very, very little damage mm. to them. And it seemed like a missed opportunity where there could have been a better mechanic of... Almost stealth. The, yeah. yeah, like the risk of you being out of body could have been worse. You could have taken more damage when they attacked your spirit form or... You know, I, th right. I think most cases you're not going to come out of your body and just leave it where it can get shot. But the it's arrows generally... could have been awesome and super yeah. accurate and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like none of the shooting really feels accurate, does it? In any way, it's like it's very kind of the hit the hit areas for everything feel kind of massive. Yeah, it just it feels like they they could have done a lot more with that, but mm. you know. Yeah, so so obviously for all we've talked about the different elements of the game, I think one for me one of the poorest elements is actually is is just the gameplay itself. It right. just it, I think it is a, a a game of its time, and I've never been one for particularly kind of the the really kind of it's not really fast paced because in this game um you actually move relatively slow. But yeah, what, by that I, by that by what I mean by that is kind of the really light floatiness of a controlling character. Um, what like Titanfall or COD or something? Well, yeah, by the modern day standards, obviously COD, you know, yeah, where you're just moving around at ten, you know, ten thousand speeds yeah. a second. But that's it's it's not that because you don't move that. But everything just feels really light and uh, unimpactful. So the weapons don't really have a kick to them. So the, and we talked about this now. You, know, you shoot somebody, they don't really have uh, they have small indicators that they've been hit. But there's yeah, there's no feeling between the player and the gun and um and the person you, you're, you're shooting kind of reacting so there's there's an element there that's kind of lost to a, certainly a you know, feeling modern game design um there's the way that you the character itself um tommy just feels really light um not much you know weight to moving around the environment I, I know we've had plenty of conversations about you know shooting controls in games and thinking of, of recent times you know some people complain about wolfenstein 2 feeling at times doesn't quite have you know the guns don't quite have the impact they should have but you know if you compare it to something like <laughs> prey where it's just yeah it just mm. feels like i can imagine playing what well, the way i describe it is i can imagine playing this on the pc with a mouse and keyboard like it's just 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 element of there like just shoot you know quick sharp shooting around moving around environment relatively quick that does, maybe doesn't correspond quite so well onto a pad um Given it, its lineage and when it was started development, I expect it was developed first with mouse and keyboard in mind. But I thought, you know, for all this complaining that I think we're doing justifiably, um, yeah, it did all feel a bit flat and dead. I didn't, it wasn't unenjoyable. Like it was no, it's just, perfectly it's functional, yeah. but it didn't 
it didn't excite really at any stage. Yeah. But then again, it wasn't massively challenging or engaging. So, no. you know, even talking about, you know, some of the you know, older shooters we've done in the past. Um, oh, I'm going to kill myself. The pre-cod. What was that? Um, Medal of Honor. Allied Assault. Yeah, okay, I like that. Allied Assault in particular. And we, we'd done that game, obviously, you know, good good chunk of time ago. And, you know, there's elements of that where, you know, it was a challenge to get through that game. But there, it yeah, was also a... Rally. Oh, Sniper Rally in particular. But, you know, they're, they're <laughs> still things that, you know, are uh, ingrained into my head because they're interesting. And some of them were at least interesting game design, even if they were somewhat broken. This one, it just feels like, you know, the interesting game design was some of the more the puzzle elements and the shooting just felt like it happened to be a, a first Perfunctory. person shoot. yeah around around yeah. those elements um yeah perfectly serviceable um and that feels like a yeah damn with freight faint praise i'm sure <laughs> one thing that you mentioned in your sort of you know we tend to letting uh light in behind the curtain we tend to discuss our progress through games on our cane and rinse slack channel as we go through one thing that tony mentioned uh, as he was coming towards deadline, having to work and look after his kids and all that kind of tedious real life stuff, uh, was that he was surprised how much of the time he was spending in a vehicle. So it's a weird one, this, because there's no, it's not like a game where you, uh, I think Quake 4 had some, you know, you climb in vehicles and you drive around in vehicles and stuff, and Rage obviously has it. This game, you never actually see a vehicle as such, but you can come to these places at the end of walkways it says press a button basically press a trigger and you find your you find yourself inside a kind of ship that wraps kind of wraps itself around you um and it's a kind of little reasonably maneuverable shuttlecraft and you end up playing a kind of for those who remember the mid 90s uppy downy <laughs> shoot 'em up descent game um which was you know With quite a treat ball. at the time right um and yeah uh but actually, this uh, this ends up, yeah, taking up a relatively large chunk of some levels. So you're flying, flying through whole big sections of this sphere craft. You're doing some kind of spinny, turny, upside downy combat. But again, like I thought, there was some. It, it allowed the levels to kind of expand and the game to have a bit more verticality and things like that. But again, the actual feel of shooting and stuff and controlling the ship was sort of unremarkable. Yeah, it was. I think Tony's also said this, but uh, I had completely forgotten that this existed at all. <laughs> and then there's multiple sections of it in the, yeah, really the last third of the game, and they they should be quite memorable because now I'm, you know, having played it fairly recently, like it sticks out a lot. And there's actually some kind of cool set pieces in there where you know there's a bit where you have to fly, sort of on a timer through a tunnel that keeps sort of belching flames out of it or something mm -hmm. like that and there's a bit where you land on various little sort of little spheroid you know planets yeah. and do some it's a bit where you have puzzles, to do some but... quite relatively involved um there's a bit where you have to what is it you have to like um shoot a switch so a box appears around you and then you have to get into you have to hit the hit a switch which then transports you to the next section Mm -hmm. Various little yeah puzzles. It's not just a case of flying down some tubes to the next section. There's actually some areas where you have to kind of yeah solve a level um, vertically. Kind of yeah, there's rooms that have got exits left, right, and up and down. You have to shoot enemies that are on platforms. It's quite you know it's quite impressive. Again, perhaps for the time, how seamless it all is. You can fly off quite a distance and then come back and land and 
carry on shooting and stuff. But um, it stops the game from just being a corridor shooter. Which, yes, which helps. It doesn't help the ships quite weak at times um a bit flimsy a bit flimsy and you kind of only got one weapon <laughs> so, so a really poopy poopy cannon shooter yeah po- poopy cannon, cannon. So. that's that's what we call it um the poopy cannon so yeah there's the elements of the, the ship not being you know amazing to um to shoot people down in but yeah it's i think it allows the game to um be a, a tad more impressive than just a corridor shooter which i think know, the they, they resist the temptation them, but... <laughs> they res- yeah, they resisted the temptation to have like a big final boss in the ship, but they did have a kind of final moment in the ship, which is where you've got a massive spinning thing with all laser beams coming out of it. Mm. And you have to shoot these sort of power towers. And every time you shoot one, the environment becomes more dangerous because it shoots out flame. So you end up having to do this kind of fairly... It, I mean, I found it quite easy to be honest, but it was it made me it made me engage and think while I was flying my ship, and um, I'm sure it would. It, I imagine it would have been quite a good set piece back in the day, but then none of you remember it. So I know. So. <laughs> yeah. That's probably more my fault than the game's fault. Possibly so. So let's talk about the Death Walk. I didn't know, but according to IMDb, the much hyped Death Walk feature went through five incarnations before arriving at the shipped version. The original design had death wraiths attacking in the environment after the player died in battle, but this wasn't fun in closed environments. In the second incarnation, this was changed to always taking place in an open environment called the Underworld. The player would have to stay in the centre of the arena while death wraiths attacked and tried to knock the player off the arena until Tommy's spirit power restored. This proved too complex a process. Fighting the death race to restore life was added in the third version. The third version also added the concept of Tommy's physical body falling back to the natural world. However, it would rise back up if the player stopped shooting wraiths, bringing a final death. This also proved too complex and was not fun for testers. The fourth version was pretty close to the final version of the game. Tommy's body now lowered itself to the physical realm on a timer and the player would shoot spirit wraiths until Tommy was fully lowered and health wraiths quickly after. In the final version, this was changed to shooting both health and spirit wraiths while Tommy's physical body is restored. And then, so, God, it and wasn't until you read through all of that that I realised just how stupid this whole portion of the game is. And the next version, they shouldn't have bothered. Basically, that's, so they came through, like, you can, you can actually trace the concept through yeah. that. I totally get what they were going for. But mm-hmm. in the end, the final version they end up with is so pointless, they may as well have taken it out of the game. It's because it's so rudimentary. You stand in there, so for the people that don't know, you stand in a centre of a circle, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a yeah, uh, an environment. But you, you have these wraiths that all but just go around in circles. They just go around in circles. And you can just aim your your spiritual crossbow um, and just fire at this, the, the continue, just not even really move, just keep firing keep, and keep, hit keep. the wraiths as they go around. Yeah, yeah there's want- red ones, there's blue ones and they restore different things but it seems yeah. to be like it's on a timer anyway so and if you go back into the world with slightly less health it doesn't really matter because that, you just do that, that mini, mini game, game is so quick and pointless <laughs> yeah. that you just so, see what that unfortunately then the well the, the the problem with that is that you then don't fear about dying because there's no real punishment other than a you know a 30 second mini game that's yep. pretty pointless Mm-hmm. So you find yourself taking more risk or you don't really care if you die anyway. And so then you end up at that point, well, 
I suppose death in games. We've had the conversation many yeah. times. Like you do wonder what what is the point on occasions, but yes, um, yeah. I don't know. It just it it just I mean, feels here, once the... again a feature that just doesn't was yeah. clearly a feature and was meant to be a little mini game within itself. Got diluted and ends up down just to becoming, being, yeah, yeah, just... yeah. I suppose the the punishment for death in this game is having to play the crappy. <laughs> Spinny, yeah. spinny shark fish with mini game, but it's not that big a punishment because it's perfectly fine. It gets slightly more complex as the game goes on, in the sense that bit more bits of environment are in between you and the wraiths. <laughs> uh, so yeah, woo. And yes, the what's funny, what I learned is when you complete the game on normal difficulty, it unlocks Cherokee difficulty. So I looked up what Cherokee difficulty is, thinking, okay, smarter enemies perhaps, or um, maybe you take more damage. No, the game is identical other than all it does is removes the health pots that are dotted around the level on normal level. So all the little purple puffs that you can walk through and those those kind of alien wall installations that spout health at you, that's all gone. So getting through Cherokee level basically means playing this game about five times as much. I did did do it back in the day. Yeah, I'm sure you did. You got the achievement. (laughs) I have. Uh, So you've played this game a lot. So I've played through it three times, times I now, guess, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and played the multiplayer for a few hours. Too many hours. Yeah. Well, at least it's not. I mean, what I will say is, it may be dull and pointless, but at least it isn't frustrating. It's uh, this is know, true. Yeah. It's very easy. Simon Sloth from the forum says, "Prey was the first game I ever played on the Xbox 360 when I double dipped at about halfway through the last generation, having been a PlayStation 3 owner first and foremost. At the time, it seemed different and inventive without setting my world alight." Playing it in this day and age makes me glad that first-person shooters and games in general have moved on a lot. Aside from the occasional spirit-walking gravity and portal elements, the game is the definition of a generic Xbox game. Enemies, weapons and levels are ultimately forgettable and I found myself looking up level names on a walkthrough to see how much I had left to wade through. The weapons themselves lack any oomph with poor feedback and sound design. The grenades are one of the worst I can remember in any game, rarely landing where I hoped. I'd say that's fair. They were like bugs, imagine. to be fair. Yeah, yeah that was completely Half-Life-y. taken from Half-Life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there are a few nice moments which reminded me of Starbreeze's The Darkness, which I now realise came after. But these were the only bits I really enjoyed. Maybe if the developers had spent less time putting a working jukebox and gambling machines in the game and more time <laughs> on weapons and enemy design, the game would have been better. I feel I'm perhaps being overly harsh judging it by today's standards, but when compared to the previously mentioned Darkness and Portal released a year later, it has aged very badly. So says Simon. Um, one, one of the things that actually caught me off by guard because I've been playing um, a few other first-person shooters of recent is the actual loading screens in between stuff. Right. Like the absolutely boom, and there's you know a loading screen with some yeah. hints and stuff on the top. Let me just mm. play you a different section of music that was completely different from the one you were in before loading you back yes. into it like really you just it's surprising how much stuff you take for granted now yeah in regards to that like hidden loading screens it's just mm-hmm. it really did take you know not that i was absolutely drawn into the environments and was just wanted to stay in the world but it just when i was broken out of those worlds it was like wow someone designed that level <laughs> and then this is the other level they designed and you know yeah the stick, sure. there is no stitching together oh no no uh, Easter eggs. Well, one that I found or looked up, uh, the melody that plays when Tommy is confronted by possessed demon ghost children, for whatever reason, is the same as the melody playing when Max Payne's family was murdered in that game. Spoilers for Max Payne. Hmm. <laughs> uh, 
so there was a multiplayer. Now, unsurprisingly, I did have one quick go to see if I could find an online multiplayer game. Of course. You found of course John. not. <laughs> uh, no, there was no one there. Um, did this take off in any way back in 2006? I highly doubt it. The lack of uh, other things to play. I mean, Call of Duty 2 was around. That was the big one at this point, wasn't it? Yeah, COD 3 was 2006, but presumably that was Later. November time. So. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. COD 2 was the would have been probably the go-to choice at this point for 360 owners, maybe. What else do you have other launch games? Yeah, quite, I mean, Quake 4 had a very... Um, that was... At some was of its game? time. Yeah, I think so. I oh, believe okay. so. All right. Or soon after, if not Perfect at Perfect Dark Zero. Yeah. I played it more, yeah. No, it's so, so the multiplayer in this is perfectly serviceable. Um, the, the problem I remember having with it is very laggy. Um, well, certainly oh, it was laggy peer-to-peer. Peer-to-peer back then, and it wasn't yeah. the greatest netcode. So I remember having trouble... Um, yeah, I don't. So, did it utilize any of the features of the game—the portals, the magnetic strips, and all the stuff that would actually make it interesting? I think they were part of the level design. I mean, it's been probably two thousand and eight, yeah. maybe, since I last played it. We haven't been back to this. No, we tried. We did. John, to, to be fair, did it. try to arrange a group, but uh, didn't didn't happen. From my point of view, you know, it, once again, you're in an area where you know it seems that you had to have a multiplayer element tacked on. I think it was perfectly competent, but as always, you know, yeah. games like this. I think people were hoping that, you know, people would stick around and, and continue yeah. playing their multiplayer, you know, a year or two after the, the release of the single player. But there was some like DLC it, I noticed, all free, uh, skins. Yeah, yeah there's just tons of little tiny things. Yeah. Maps as well, I think. I was mm. looking at all the stuff I had downloaded on the Xbox right. One. It's like 15 different things I've got mm. between, yeah, enemies. But it wasn't paid for, and, was it? I don't think. No, I highly doubt I ever would have paid for any of it. Because we game of pictures and stuff as well. You're a cheapskate. <laughs> game of pictures. Oh, yeah. Yeah, free yeah. game of pictures. Oh, and there was definitely a free Prey theme at some point that I remember having. Oh. Hmm. Might have been on a disc from AlexM or something like that. I thought this predated mm. themes because it was still the Blades at this point. Oh, they had themes on the Blades. Huh. I'd forgotten that. <laughs> I think. I'm pretty sure when mm. I first got the console, I had Perfect Dark Zero, but to go on a, on a complete tangent. I had a copy of that that came with a second disc, yeah. and that had a whole load of crap on it, like uh, awesome. a very poor-looking theme. Goodness me. So, yeah, they were definitely there. I remember a Prey theme that had a picture of one of the enemies yeah. that I didn't really recognise as one of the enemies from no. in the game. <laughs> Understandable. Yeah, I guess you don't really ever get quite up in their faces enough to see like a sort of a huge high-resolution picture. Was it like a dog maggot thing? <laughs> no, I think it was supposed to be one of the standard soldiers, but I remember Broke. its face kind of looking like it had a gas mask or, you know, looking a bit like, um, you know, sort of a human fly hybrid or something like that. They probably look really good yeah. on concept art and stuff, but they just don't really come oh, yeah. across. They did. The, 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 the joke about just this game really is see them. Yeah, they, they introduce obviously slightly harder enemies as you go along, um, but and they give you bigger weapons to take them down. So it's, it's just like they... they Nothing really changes in the gameplay, so it's like we'll just use the bigger weapon to take down yeah, the bigger enemy. Yeah. But they just move around. So what I found is certainly like the, the crab people things. Mm. Um, they they move around a lot, so they just you tend to fire it and they jump out of the way. So you know that was yeah. the, the extent of their AI is you know, jump to the you know take a step to the right. Jump There's to some the... arena battles and boss fights that have a little bit of puzzling to them, I suppose. There's the the one where you have to uh, for the final boss you have to kind of launch these 
drones you have to go over and press a button and then explode them while she's nearby to to get her weak spot down but yeah, nothing. there's a lot there's a lot of circle strafing there's, in there's in also the a couple of doors you have to do that isn't it you kind of a a lump of poop, poop. <laughs> appears poop. from a door that looks like it's pooping and then you move it to another area and shoot it which then Shoots, explodes and then, the, and then the bottom puckers yeah it's yeah. really odd it's all very yeah. bottomy this is the the one boss fight where you get the gun that the guy's got attached to his arm oh, that's and he, cool. you like hide yeah. in a corner and he sticks his arm through and you press a door to press a button to put one of the energy doors over and then you get his gun off his arm and oh, you yeah. shout how do you like it now <laughs> <laughs> Which made me laugh. That's telling me. Yeah. This is a conversation about the multiplayer sure went off topic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so at the end of the game, uh, you are, you get, head back to the bar. Um, you've, as we've established, you've shot your missus and your grandfather's dead as well. You're looking forward to seeing them in the afterlife. They're all fine there. Don't worry. She's happy. Uh, you're back in the bar, and then one of the characters who you thought died along the way, who was briefly an ally, Elkuit, uh, returns and says, oh, you're needed <laughs> in space somewhere. Um, in a, it's a post-credits thing. It's very, very MCU before the MCU. Only a couple of years before the MCU, mind. But uh, it's that kind of thing. And in you walk to another portal to go off and have another space-based adventure. Uh, and then it says, pray we'll continue. And then it didn't. Well, to be fair to Tommy, he always says he wasn't just designed just to be on the reservation. That's there we true. go. Look, he's actually, the, he's the saviour of the world. It's true. I mean, you can certainly say that <laughs> it doesn't, it didn't need to see, you know, the, the idea that he goes off and has more adventures because he's proved himself worthy of shooting space aliens is, is fine. But it does literally say, pray will continue. Uh, so pray <laughs> to... <laughs> Shortly after the game's release, 3D Realm Scott Miller confirmed that a sequel was in development. On March 17th, 2008, Miller's brand management group, Radar Group, was launched along with the announcement that it was managing Prey 2, slated for release for PC and Xbox 360. The game was being developed in cooperation with Human Head Studios. Oh, well, When's it out? I mean, do we, do we do this now or do we do this in the actual Prey 2 podcast? Well, it's not a Prey 2. There is no Prey 2 podcast. There's a Prey 2017 podcast, mm -hmm. uh, but that is not the game that was Prey 2. Prey no. 2 had a lot of hype, didn't it? It had, uh, there were videos. Oh, it looked so good. Did it? Yeah, I thought so. The okay. thing about being the alien bounty hunter. Right. Well, tell me oh, what I you remember, because all I remember is a, an E3 video, I think. And I don't remember, was it ever officially cancelled? I'm not sure it was. Uh, I think it just metamorphosed into Prey 2017 rather than, I mean, I'm sure internally it was, but this game, this series of games has a, a legacy of being internally quietly cancelled and then restarted, doesn't it? Isn't it weird how that can happen to a particular IP or is it just no, indicative of that that happens to all games? It's fair to say that there is a cult following for Prey. Um, and I think that's partly because of the stuff we talked about at the, start of the, you know, at the start of the show. I think there's a look and feel to it that is, different from other games um and whether prey to i mean john can regardless with what they would have achieved in this but i'm i'm gonna guess it was because <laughs> um, um, i haven't played 2017 yet and it bears virtually no resemblance it's not to, is it it's it's named it's, it's in just the name, the name. Yeah. yeah it's just it, I mean, well once again completely different if they'd kept the portals the spirit walking well, the magnetic tracks but it's more like a it's more like a you know another shock spiritual successor yeah, from everything i understand shooter yeah which is 
you know, a lot of people love it and we'll talk about it, but it's not, it doesn't feel like a Prey successor as I understand it's, it. From what I remember of the, what was talked about Prey 2 at the time, I think the 2017 Prey is more along those lines. I feel, I feel like that game did talk about, you know, sort of more having an open world that you could go around in and do quests and things. And I think you were supposed to be a bounty hunter going and collecting bounties and it rather than the very linear corridor shooter style prey 2006. So I think whether or not they actually kept things about it with the game that then materialized or, you know, whether it's just more of a coincidence that they, I believe have more in common in those two. But um, yeah, I mean, this was, as you mentioned from Wikipedia, this was talked about well under two years after Prey had come out. And it, I, I think that it did get an official cancellation. It did. I've, I've actually, I actually already had this quote ready, uh, but I'd forgotten. It was officially cancelled in 2014, six huh. years later. Yeah. So this is go. that same development hell situation yeah. from Prey 1. Yeah. Um, I was excited at the oh, time because well, yeah, it, it seemed, were, if I recall. yeah, it seemed like it was going to be cool. It looked a lot like from some of the pictures, very um, Blade Runnery and very noir. But it, it reminded... also had, it did seem to have something of the prey about it. I think the aliens looked more similar to how they are here. Yeah, I don't know whether the character was ever supposed to be Tommy and continuing his adventures I in do, deep space. I do remember not. that that trailer now. Now you bring it up, yes. Mm. Yeah, no, that was, yeah, I remember there was plenty of hype around that. I think, I'm um, sure they were going to persist with the upside down levels and the portals. Well, the, the problem that. is, yeah, you roll the dice because then, you know, if you've if you got the portals, then portal exists. So you have to essentially run yeah, with that true. tech. And yeah. that's, I mean, that, I mean, there's a reason why they kept that in confined environments the way they did. So if you're talking about open world, then you probably have to limit that stuff down. Um, you know, it's well, you just have to, certainly if you're talking about a 2014, it was finally cancelled. So you're talking about like 2014, 2015 release. You know, that's a big, a big money pit for a game like that. So mm. it's a, yep. although the the original was successful, you do wonder whether they just got, you know, cold feet. But uh, I guess in an attempt to keep the IP alive and keep some funds coming in, they did release a game, a second Prey game or second release called Prey Invasion. Developed by Machine Works Northwest in association with 3D Realms, published by Hands On Mobile, came out on iOS in June 2009, designed by Scott Miller. Anyone play this? Nope. The first I've ever heard of it. There you go. <laughs> so that happened. Yes. In 2009, the rights to the franchise were acquired by Bethesda Softworks and id Software parent company, Zenimax Media. On October 30th, 2014, during PAX Australia, Bethesda Softworks Vice President P. Hines confirmed that Prey 2 had subsequently been cancelled. He stated, It was a game we believed in, but we never felt it got to where it needed to be. We never saw a path to success if we finished it. It wasn't up to our quality standard, and we decided to cancel it. It's no longer in development. That wasn't an easy decision, but it's one that won't surprise many folks, given that we hadn't been talking about it. Human Head Studios is no longer working on it. It's a franchise we still believe we can do something with. We just need to see what that something is. <laughs> I like his quote. It was a game we believed in, but never felt it got to where it needed to be. Because from what I remember of it, it looked incredibly ambitious. Mm -hmm. 
and I always had the impression that it was mm. promising more than they'd ever be able to deliver on it. Looked a bit like you know when you first see um, or hear them talking about cyberpunk, and you're like, yeah, oh I my was god, that's s- so yeah. in depth. I was going to and- say there was a cyberpunkness about mm. that reveal. Yeah. 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 Hmm. All right then. Well, we are going to come back for Prey 2017, but in the meantime, let's just uh, see what you made of this game in just three words. Kazimod, uh, specifically referring to the death walking sequence, says, I'd rather die. <laughs> Samtic Primo says, prescription, more cowbell. UK Meha, portal before portal. Uh, the King Rocker says, excellent opening sequence. And Edge Jam says, Native American Badass. Thank you, one and all. Let's summarise reflections on, recommendations of, if we so choose or not, Tony. Ultimately, I, I don't think it's a game that you necessarily need to go back and revisit in 2019. I think there's better examples of, uh, you know, highlights of the genre. But I think 2006, me, enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, some of the more unique elements I think those unique elements actually still relatively stand out now um, I think the the puzzle design is is still interesting I think the you know, the walking on the metallic plates around and upside down and seeing the levels from different area different um, angles is still quite effective now and actually you know there's not many games I think have, have taken that element and and run with it themselves so it's, it's relatively unique but I do feel like it's a game that is a lot of parts, maybe from you know too many game design sessions that seemingly work, but they don't necessarily all just amalgamate together. And they've done the very best to to just make it work, but it just feels really bitty. Um, I think the story isn't particularly great in the modern you know modern day setting, um, and I think the shooting um, by by today's standards feels very you know light and uh not particularly eventful um but i i do remember in 2006 being yeah relatively impressed by it so i think you know my my opinion now probably sits somewhere in between that you know i probably found it almost like a, a four out of five experience back then now i'd say it's you know it's more kind of like a two to three experience so let's just let's just say it's like a three out of five and if you've got nothing else better than play, then you could do worse than uh, than revisit the original Prey. Which, uh, no, I'm I'm not dissatisfied. I've gone back and played. It's not a particularly long game. It's not a particularly challenging game. But that's that's you know that's hardly a a recommendation for you to to run out now and jump on. You'll onto get it. some achievements out of it. That's for sure. Yeah, well, I did, I didn't even this time because I had them all before no, from 2006. I'm but talking to the no. I just here. I just think it's um, by today's standards the, the shooting feels. Um, really lackluster um so yeah. if you were to play it now i think that would be uh, be an issue but i do think the elements which were interesting well the most interesting elements back in 2006 actually still have a place in 2019 and hasn't necessarily been wholesale copied which is probably actually quite unusual thank you yes i wouldn't have played the game but for the fact that it popped up in my library mysteriously <laughs> i think due to darren gargett darren? Uh, and uh, yeah i just decided to play along with the show so i mean i didn't i wouldn't have been worried about spoilers anyway but it's fun to play along and hear about you know whether people share your opinions of the mechanics and so on and it sounds like we're all pretty much on the same page i too found the actual first person shooter gameplay pretty yeah kind of uninspiring and bog standard by modern standards but not unenjoyable like it wasn't a hard time it was it was virtually never frustrating uh, a couple of maybe minor little 
blips and glitches of odd moments that where the game didn't hang together or something annoying happened but actually it was that's mitigated by the fact that dying is virtually unpunished in this game other than by having to very briefly play a slightly monotonous mini game <laughs> um yeah the the scripting and the the story is all kind of very hokey and b movie at, at bestish uh, but again having said that it has its moments of atmosphere and drama uh, despite all the silliness, uh, which is more to do with the visual design and stuff than anything else. And as I say, I think visually it actually holds up OK. I was playing it two feet away from a 49 inch 4K telly and um, it didn't look amazing, but it did look OK and, and all right. And that's, you know, that's more than can be said for some uh, to, to these eyes anyway. Uh, the main things that stick with me about the game beyond the the story and the and the fundamentals of the gameplay is the the sort of the the clever bits the the puzzle and level design based around the spirit walking and the portals and the rotating environments those are the things that actually still have the ability to uh, stimulate and impress perhaps not as much as they did and perhaps not as much as they could have done if they'd really gone to town by really mushing all those mechanics together and making some truly mind scrambling puzzles and i still feel like there is a game that could do that like even post portal and post other games i still think there's some interesting mechanics in here that if used in combination could create some genuinely bewildering and breathtaking levels and it sounds like prey 2017 kind of didn't go down that path at all which is kind of a shame but yeah i didn't mind playing it it's just as well i did otherwise we would have been short for this show um it would have been a, a two to, down to two but yeah it was it was fine and i'm it's another one i'm glad to have experienced for myself from the history of the medium i really 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 like this game um which might come slightly shockingly uh i think it was probably as much circumstantial as anything that was actually you know really struck me about playing the game itself i think it's more that it tied into being part of the reason why I ended up getting the 360, which ended up being, you know, almost certainly the most formative console I ever had. And, yeah, then playing the multiplayer was probably one of the very first uh, things I did when I got Xbox Live six months later. And I, I specifically remember playing it with two friends who we used to play Fear with semi-competitively online. And I just... All of my memories before I replayed it a few weeks ago were overwhelmingly positive, probably as much from that nostalgic point of uh, you know comparison than than actually how I felt about the game. And I have to say, even thirteen years later, playing it again, I was pleasantly surprised that it just honestly just wasn't complete garbage because I didn't have very high expectations. You know, I was very very much in that mindset of this is going to be something that's either completely rose tinted glasses uh, memories or it just hasn't held up well at all. So it genuinely very pleasantly surprised that it still plays quite well now and still has, as both of you mentioned, those sections in it that were inventive at the time with the portals and the gravity and things. And some of them have been done since better and, some of them have been completely reinvented and turned into brand new games in themselves. And obviously in 13 years, the genre, well, 
the genre itself and just everything in games has come on so far that having you know puzzle games that have done so much better and having physics games that have done so much better and having shooting mechanics and even even little things that we sort of poked fun at the loading screens and you know those massive pop-ups when you stand in front of the um the little flying robot and you get a huge pop-up of press the a button for this like you just wouldn't get that thing now that covers like you know the entirety of the bottom layer of the screen with a huge green a button on it like (laughs) It's it seems so antiquated, and I've played a couple of other also fairly old games. I've been playing Metro twenty thirty three the last couple of nights, and I'm like, oh my god, it does exactly this same thing of the loading screens between the levels with a tiny little bit of information about what's going on and the character's voice talking and a big press A to continue button. And it's it's almost it's almost kind of kitschy and and. I think nostalgic is the easy way to describe it, but it just, it reminds me of something that we don't see now so much. And obviously that's because it's been bettered, but I do still have that soft spot. And I am still that person who played millions of hours of PC FPS games in the late nineties and early two thousands. And it all fits so well in with Prey. And I just, I can't, I can't dislike it for for its negatives. It's just yeah. it's just something that it's a part of my life. It's so weird to say, but it yeah, it's it's part of who I am. Beautiful. Well, I'm very glad I finished with you. One thing I will say <laughs> is, despite the uh, despite the the big A button prompts and everything, no QTs in this game. Not a one. No, that is true. They were <laughs> certainly around at this point as well. Oh yeah. Right. Well, that's been interesting. And we'll be returning in uh, a while, some weeks, uh, to cover the the recent prey, the more recent prey. Anyway, until then, it remains for me, Leon, to thank John and Tony, as well as our correspondents, editor Jay, and to you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe and rate and review wherever you get your shows from. And best of all, patreon.com slash canarince. A dollar a month helps us support the show, helps you support us, I should say, uh, and what we do, and also means you get early podcasts, extended podcasts, an exclusive monthly bonus podcast, and format special podcast three months early. Consider it patreon.com slash Thank you. Uh, next time, in issue 378, we find out what is inside Playdead's 2016 dark puzzle platforming hit.